waiting for you to let Hi, how long do I speak? This is Leslie. It's about 50 minutes, there and thereabouts. Not a short one. Okay. <laughs> I love you big. Hello, friends. My name is Leslie S., and I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I'd like to welcome the newcomers and um, the people in between, old timers or whatever. And I'm, 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 um, Thank the grace of God for us all being here today. The grace of the Most High, whatever power you call it. If you don't have a name for it, that's fine too. My sobriety date is November 2nd, 1988. I am 32 years sober, November 2nd. I'm 32 years sober and, um, and I'm uh, broadcasting loud, live, and in color from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I am also a Los Angeles girl. I was raised in Los Angeles, got sober in Los Angeles, and I've been in Atlanta for 15 years. Uh, first of all, I have to acknowledge um, uh, Pax uh, took care of me, stayed in touch with me. Thank you for that, Pax, wherever you are. Um, but I, I can't help but notice um, someone on here, and I think it's so special, and it shows the willingness. And I want to cry. Heather and Kenny... Kenny is in the hospital and Heather is laying. That is some love in that square right there. I could not let y'all go. I love you too. Give him a kiss for me. See, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Kenny, I hope whatever it is, you get over it fast and get a lot of ice cream. Unless you're lactose intolerant, don't do that. But in the meantime, thank you for being here. Thank you for showing somebody the willingness. I mean, what else can you do? You can't get up and go nowhere. So you might as well get on a Zoom meeting. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. So um, I'm supposed to share in a general way what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like today. And um, I just left the meeting two minutes ago, and I'm on another one. And that's that's how I do this thing, because I have that enthusiasm about this program. Um, you know, I, was, I have a 22-year-old uh, son, and he's, you know, these millennials are really, really, like, spiritual. If they're not all on dope or whatever, they're, they're pretty, and even if they are, they're pretty deep and pretty spiritual. And, uh, and, um, and he's, he calls me his spiritual advisor. So when he calls, I treat him like a newcomer. When he's calling for the spiritual advisor, he says, I don't want to talk to mom right now. I want to talk to my spiritual advisor. I said, okay, so I switch wigs. Okay, so this is your spiritual advisor. What do you need from me, son? And he'll go into his explanation like a regular human being. He's very respectful, but he gets into his expletives. He says what's bothering him. He talks about what all's going around him and all that kind of stuff. And I do like my sponsor does me. And I hope your sponsors do this for you too. When you're overwhelmed with a whole lot of stuff, especially we alcoholics and it's all one thing on i ain't got a job you guys sitting in the live meeting if you're in a program if you're on here uh, i'm in this program how do i get my job back how do i get the family back it becomes a big snowball and it just be it's so it's so big and overwhelming that you're like it's just so much but in reality when you have a spiritual advisor a guide a spiritual extension cord in your life someone that can advise you someone wiser than you especially in the rooms Alcoholics Anonymous, they can help you unpack. You ever take a long trip? And especially you ladies, I'm going to talk to y'all. You guys pack too much. Half the stuff when you come home, you didn't even wear. I just got back from a trip. I had 99 pairs of shoes in there. And I said, what was I thinking? And, and well, I got paid for extra luggage. But what this program has given me is the ability to unpack and to learn about what can I do, just like the serenity prayer, accept the things I cannot change, 
have the courage to change what I can. Well, I got to be able to differentiate what part I have to play in the change. See, for me, when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought God was like a wizard or I could make three wishes or I could pray to the East or I could wish on a shooting star or something and it would materialize. I could just rub on the lamp, make three wishes. But that's asking for something without my cooperation. See, I've never been cooperative until I came into the rooms of alcoholism. Now I was cooperative when I wanted to get that next drink, especially with somebody as, as sexy and handsome as Iman D in UK. I was cooperative. You see how I threw you in there? See, see, don't play with me. You too, Bob. You know, I was always cooperating when it benefited me. But today now I cooperate because it's just the next right thing to do. And the thing that gives me the power to carry it out is what you guys taught me to connect to in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I got this serenity prayer and the wisdom to know what I can and can't change. That's amazing. To be able to sit with someone that you're in a relationship with and, and they chew wrong or they blink too much or whatever my pet peeve is, can I live with it? Can I learn to live with this disease? It's a dis-ease and a discomfort in my soul. See, the big book talked about the soul and I never could differentiate between the soul and the spirit. So I invite you friends to go compare it and look it up yourself. But they told me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have a soul sickness. Now, soul sounds real deep. I mean, it's well deep. It's bottomless pit deep. What does my soul sickness look like? I love analogies. I'll be running them through because that draws, I believe in communication to draw a clear picture in your mind's eye. What does a soul sickness look like to me? I can't pull off doing the right thing consistently. I can't pull off uh, overcoming my defects and my shortcomings once I find out what they, what they are. I can't even pull off staying stopped or not getting started without a power. So there's something that's broken way down within, but there's also something broken at the top of my body called my thinking. Hmm. See, the disease of alcoholism for me is cunning because it's smarter than me. It's baffling because it makes, takes me to places I don't even know how I got here and I don't even know how I got in this situation. And it's powerful because I think it, then I think I have to act on it. That's what my alcoholism is. Well, isn't my thinking just like that? My thinking is cunning. My thinking is baffling. And my thinking is powerful. That's where my disease centers. And within my brain, therein lies my ego. So, and on top of that, I'm full of fear and I'm selfish and self-centered and self-seeking and all about me. Boy, I got a kerfuffle going on. I got a cluster. So it takes a lot of unpacking to uncover, discover, and discard. But the wonderful thing about it and the blessing and the grace of it all is I was able to first concede that I can't stop. I was able first to concede that I can't not start, even if I know what happened the last time. I came in this program one time and one time only by God's grace. Let me talk a little bit about grace. 
Say, I'm not going to take you through the book and teach you how to write the steps. I'm not here for that. I'm here to, here to share you my experience and what that looks like for me, my strength and my hope. What it was like. What happened. What happened is the pivotal point that changed my whole life and what I'm like today. That's what I do. Let's start talking about something like this. I'm 61 years old. I got sober when I was 28 years old. I got sober in Los Angeles, California. And at the time in the late 80s, I don't know if some of y'all were around back then. I don't think uh, Bob, he looks too young. And I think Steve looks a little young. And a couple of y'all look too young to know about what was happening in the 80s in Los Angeles, California. But you know, there was another competitive disease that was killing everybody. And you weren't cool unless you were doing it. See, I didn't come in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous believing I was an alcoholic because I had an idea what an alcoholic looked like. Alcoholic was somebody in that movie called The Lost Weekend with Ray Milan. Ooh, I'm telling my age. Thank you, Bob. Or, or, or Elizabeth Taylor and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That was an alcoholic. How about Jack Lemon and his girlfriend in Days of Wine and Roses? That was an alcoholic. What about up to date, less than zero? Those were alcoholics. I wasn't any of those. I wasn't hiding bottles under my bed or in my desk drawer. I wasn't that mom that was hiding bottles in the trunk of the car with the soccer equipment. What? I was 28. I didn't have any kids. I had a car and a job, and I live about a mile from my mother's house in a great part of L.A. See, I'm a recovering Catholic. Any recovering Catholics up in here? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Okay, uh, recovering Jewish then. We're recovering from some religion. Let me explain to you. I have no problem with Catholicism today because I understand the bottom line is trying to get you to be uh, uh, in alignment with whatever power. So don't get me wrong, but this is my experience. See, in Catholic school, they used to tell me stuff like, you have to go through this man in this black robe with this long rosary, and he puts you in a little box, and you tell him all your sins, and you can only get to God by confessing to this man, and he'll give you an assignment. He'll give you homework. He'll give you a penance, and a penance would be come down in a rosary, and then you have to kneel in front of the altar. It's all this pomp and circumstance. It's a lot. We're talking kindergarten all the way up to 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 10th grade. I'm in Catholic school. And the reason why I ended up in Catholic school cuz that was back in the 70s. That was the best place to get education as a private parochial school or any kind of private school. So I was there. My mother worked at MGM Studio, so she made really really good money. So I'm a Hollywood baby. Not that I was in any movies and neither was my mother, but my mother was in the post-production and where they did the splicing and all that stuff. So my mother was a black woman in the 70s, purchased her own home because she was a vet on her GI plan. And I was raised on the west side of Los Angeles, California, if you know that area. All my friends, last name was Goldberg, Greenberg. They wore the yarmulkes. I had the Hasidic Jews with the little curly, Shirley Temple curls. I had the Catholic school friends. I had the public school friends. I was just in an eclectic environment. It seemed like I didn't ever fit in. Now, I don't know about these alcoholics today, but most of the time when I'm sitting in a meeting, we have one thing in common, two things. First of all, our last names are all the same. We got the same damn DNA. My last name is Leslie Alcoholic. So if you're anything like me, we're all built together. We all cousins. Welcome home, family. <laughs> The second thing about being an alcoholic, see, you got something in your body that makes you just not be able to handle alcohol and other substances very well. I don't do so good when I get drunk. See, when I get drunk, I wake up with guys like uh, uh, JRP over there. 
Not that he's a bad looking guy, but you know, I wake up with him and he looks at me and I look at him and I say, what's your name again? And you'll say, what's your name again? And we'll both start laughing because we don't remember the pain and suffering and humiliation of a night ago. See, I'm the girl that when I drink, something about drinking gets me naked. It don't work today, so don't even try, you guys. You can laugh. It's funny. Don't even try it today because I'm conscious and I'm aware now. You got to come for real now. Something about my alcoholic behavior makes me lower myself, lower myself to the lowest common denominator. I'm, 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 I know my feelings are no higher of self-esteem. <coughs> I'm no higher than the underbelly of a slug. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm going to this Catholic school <coughs> and they're giving me all this information about this God. But the God that I see and I read about in all the stories in that other book, book, big, big book, he flooding lands, he giving people leprosies, people are dying and coming back to life, he having people crucified, he's burying people upside down, you done planted all this stuff to harvest and the locusts come in, then he'll rain on you for 40 days and 40 nights and flood the planet. These are scary stories. I like horror movies, but that was the best horror movie ever. God was Stephen King personified. He would write a story, and I'm like, I'm not messing with that God. That God had me in an unhealthy fear. I was terrified. Especially as a kid, you walk into a church, you look up, there's these huge statues with these big purple things on it. Then there's Lent. Then I got to pray to the east, and I got to pray this way, and I got a genuine flag. Oh, it's too many rules. It's too much. I'm a kid. How come I just can't play jacks and watch cartoons and soul train on Saturdays? I don't know about you. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> But it didn't work that way. So I kind of left the God issue on, on, on the plane. Now, this is not something I decided. I'm not going to mess with God. I mean, they taught me how to pray. They taught me the Lord's Prayer. So I knew it when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I could join in on that. Now, I didn't know nothing about the Serenity Prayer. And I didn't know something, nothing about the six-step prayer and the seven-step prayer and the third-step prayer. Y'all taught me more prayers in this room. Practical application of the prayer stuff. So as I go through life and I'm going through school and then I start experimenting with that that uh, that non-habitual form of marijuana and I started smoking a little bit of that and I'm starting to do other things. But alcohol was always in the picture. Don't get it twisted. Like I said, I came into the room just with another problem. I stayed in the room long enough to read the doctor's opinion in the first 164 with other people because I couldn't read it by myself because it was so damn boring I'd go to sleep. I'm sorry, I'm a voracious reader, but that big book, if you're sitting there trying to read a textbook by yourself, if you go to sleep, I understand. But what you guys did is made it different and you made it come to life and you modernized it for a black girl in the 80s so I could understand this white guy in the 30s. Come on, you don't understand. Let's talk about what's real. I couldn't identify with ye old grenadier pot and dying by musket or by pot and armistice day I'm looking for the next James Brown album. I don't have a clue. So that's just where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? So I go through life and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm, I'm hanging out with my friends. Well, I mean, you know, 21 years old, that's what you do. You get your job, you go out for ladies' night or happy hour. It was during the latter part of the disco era. I put on my sparkly dress. Well, really, I'd have a change of clothes in the car because my car was my closet. I don't know about you guys, but I always kept extra clothes in the closet. You know, I mean, the closet called a car. You know, it'd be all, it's just finding the other shoe. That was my biggest dilemma. 
and I get dressed in the parking lot across the street from the club. I became a club girl. 21 years old, I hit it. I hit the ground running. And I started going to clubs. Ladies night was best. If I had enough for a beer, I was good. Because I would get one of you men, Chase, Terrio, Joe D. One of you men was going to buy me a drink. And I'd probably walk out of the drunkest woman in there. But I'd, I'd start out with at least a beer so I could sit at the bar. Manipulation. Scheming. And low-key hoeing. Even though I had a job. Oh, excuse me. Businesswoman. I didn't say the H word. Yes, I did. I was hoeing it. I didn't know what it was, but that's what I was doing. I prostituted myself for alcohol and another one. And I did this over and over and over again. And I'd have my clothes in the back and I'd, you know, go somewhere and change my clothes. And I'd put on my sparkly little short tight dress and men don't get excited. I'd put on my heels, grease up my legs like a gas station mop. I'm walking in there looking like Shaka Khan or, or Donna, Donna, uh, Summer, somebody you know, with the big hair, and I'm going to the club, and I'm partying in the club, and then three days later, I wake up, laying across my my stick shift seats, you know, it's hard to sleep with that break in your side, and, and I'm laying across the seats, and, 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 and my dress is on, but it's ripped on the side, and it's inside out, and it's backwards, and I'm sitting here wondering, where am I parked, what happened last? Can't remember. See, toward the end, I started having the blackouts. But I prided myself in never getting a DUI. You know why I didn't get a DUI? I thought it was because I took the back streets home or somebody else drive. You know why I didn't get a DUI? It's called grace, y'all. Just called grace. I thought I did something big. I came into the rooms of Alcoholics and I said, oh, y'all got these terrible records. I didn't never get any of that because I wasn't I wasn't dealing with the feelings. I was comparing myself to your stories and some of your stories are so bad. I knew I wasn't that bad. So I wasn't an alcoholic. But it's not about how far down the scales I went or did not go. It's about what alcohol did to me when I took that first one. In fact, it's the thinking preceding the decision to take the first one. Let's go back, back. Let me talk to y'all in the back with your cameras off. It's the decision when I was stone cold sober to take one knowing the consequences from the last time, whether it was as simple as throwing up and being hungover or as deep as on my third warning not to go to work the next day because I can't. I did this continuously. I went to the club. I had that end of the bar where my bartender, anybody, anybody ever go somewhere they frequented and had their favorite bartender that knew you by name, like the, like the TV show Cheers? Anybody had a bartender knew you by name? Uh, and he'd have a special drink for you, and you guys were friends, and you'd go on and give them big tips. See, that's how I got in. I got big tips, so I got more alcohol, you know? I got more alcohol that way. Oh, and the party didn't start till I walked in. All the lights were bright. The D DJ was talking to me, and he was wishing other people happy birthday, but he was saying happy birthday to me in advance. That's where my magic magnifying mind took me. Ego. False sense of self. And fear. So my last run looked a little bit like this, and I'll get into the recovery piece because I want to tell you guys a few secrets that I've learned. Don't tell nobody. So my last run went a little something like this. So my friend, he had all the party favors and all that other stuff, you know. Um, and then, um, of course, he had my alcohol and my choosing. Now, let me explain to you about my alcohol choosing. My alcohol would be gin, gin gimlets, 
shooters, Long Island iced teas, zombies. They make you a zombie too. You walk around like walking dead. You drink a zombie and you're a zombie. Mm. Co 45, Old English 800, Brass Monkey, Pink Champagne, Golden Champagne, Cheap cheap ass Corbell uh, champagne that gave you a headache as you were drinking it. I don't think there's not too much drambuie. I don't think there's too much I didn't drink. But the amazing thing about me is that I have the disease of not enoughness. Nothing's ever enough. Ari, if me and you fall in love, you can be just at my feet, loving me to life, just doing anything, but it's not enough. If he would only do this this way, then I could love me more. If Christine just was my friend a little more and called and checked on me, I could love me more. Well, that's not the right kind of love that Leslie gives me as a friend. Or Gail doesn't give me enough. It's never enough. My mother did a wonderful job, but if she was just a little kinder and kissed me every now and then and said, I love you. I have the disease of perception. I have the disease of a lack of a sound mind. I have a disease that wants more. And more importantly, when I take that first drink, I want some more. And I drink so much that it never quenches that thirst. It will never quench that thirst. Because the hole in my soul is only designed for God to fill and to fit into See, the God hole is shaped, maybe saying my soul is shaped like a heart, and I'm putting squares and circles and rectangles and triangles and pentagons and antagons and all them gons in there, and nothing's fitting except for God. And I'm walking around here not knowing that's the condition that needs to be adjusted. See, there's something about the soul that goes down so deep, so deep within that can't nobody see it with the human eye and can't nobody see it with an examination or a PET scan or a CAT scan. Nobody can see it, but it's something down in there that never makes me feel like I'm fulfilled. I have no purpose. I have no dreams. I have no desires. All I know, I'm on this roller coaster of drinking every single day, about to lose my mind, my life, and my job. When I came into the rooms, I was 80 pounds. I'm five foot two. There wasn't a whole bunch of me left. My skin loses its color. My teeth start changing. I'm not using the bathroom. I'm dehydrated and I'm dying. My last one was with one of my closest friends. We got loaded. I tried to get loaded. I'm going to cut to the chase. It didn't work. I'm drinking. I'm hitting other stuff. Didn't work. I was there maybe all of 10 minutes, maybe. And there was a small, small voice. Now, this is the, this is the one thing that I'm going to tell over and over again. It will not change. There was a small, small whisper of a voice. And it didn't come from my head. It came from my heart and my soul. Down deep, something said, go home. See, we're in a motel, and, and by the time I finished in my drinking career, we were going, we were doing big things and big houses and big rooms and all that. But at the end, it came down to a trashy, seedy little motel room. Motel was so nasty, you wouldn't even sit on the comforter. And I'm in that little bitty room with this guy. And something said, go home. 
And for once in my life, I listened to that voice. Now, that voice could have been coming over and over again in the past. It might have said it a hundred million times, but that particular time, it worked. I think they call it, and they put it so beautifully, a moment of clarity. It did something. But the coldest part about that moment of clarity is I had a moment of cooperation. Something made me cooperate with the voice that said, go home. See, I didn't get sober because God magically came down. And I didn't get sober because I was so uh, virtuous that I wanted to make a change in my life. And I made a decision. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I had to be whipped and drugged and dragged and, and, and catanine-tailed and beat down to submission to something. And that some dash thing, that something I find out today is the power for me. This right here, friends, I just shared in the last meeting for some of you who are already on here again. Hi, babies. I did like this. This is a universal sign of surrender. I can be in London. I can be in Japan. I can be in Zimbabwe. I can be in North, South, East Africa, Alaska, Sudan, just Australia. This right here. And the cold part about that is the disease is like the police. It said, put your hands up. Now, I consciously didn't decide. I just thought I was a little tired. But that particular day was the day I cooperated with the voice in my soul. I was referred to the Alcoholics Anonymous by a doctor after I went to a hospital the day after. He gave me a directory and he said, these people can help you. So I come home with my mom because she's always been my, she was always my angel. No matter, no matter how much I didn't like my mom. I didn't like my mom. I didn't like her in the first 10, 15 years of my sobriety. In fact, my mother came up on my resentment more than anybody over and over again. So free people, if you still write about your mama now, you know why I kept writing, stop Kim. Uh, you know why I talk, my, mama was, my mother was on my inventory so many times? I may have made those amends best I could, told the exact natures of my wrongs. I'm skipping around a little bit. Stay with me. I did all that good stuff. I did everything that y'all told me to do. I didn't know until I was to yesterday years old that I never forgave her. That was the missing piece. So, of course, if I made amends, but I owed her a, a forgiveness, too, not to say it to her, but in my heart, between me, a deal between me and God, asking God to help me forgive her. For whatever she did or didn't do. Because the book told me that all my resentments aren't wrong. Don't get me twisted. All my When I discovered that, I was like, you mean to tell me some of my stuff? I do have the right to be resentful for? They said, yeah, but you got to pray for the sick person. They just are sick. Maybe they suffer from some sickness too. See, a spiritual malady is a spiritual malady. But for us alcoholics, is even more important. Because I'm going to need some help about it. I don't know what normal people do when they're spiritually sick. To me, it comes out in their body. I don't know. But what I do know for an alcoholic, it causes me to drink more and more because I'm separating myself not only from people, but I'm separating myself from the most high. See, I have a spiritual disconnection. I can't connect to you. There's something about you guys that get on my nerves. Or if you're no longer of use to me, I don't have, I don't want to be bothered with you anymore. Peopling is hard. Y'all don't like me anyway. And then on top of that, we got this over-demanding God. 
that's not only a jealous God, but he wants you to love him and put him first. I wanted to be him. I wanted to be God. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be grand. I wanted everybody when I walked up to bow down. That was in my head. See, I was in a movie in my own head. I was a star player in my own head. I was Elizabeth Taylor and Dorothy Dandridge at the same damn time. Mm. But when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, y'all didn't care nothing about who I was, who I was with, who I knew, who my people were, what side of town I lived in. You didn't. You just knew that I said, hi, my name is Leslie and I'm an alcoholic. And I went to an AA meeting and acted as if. Now, somebody told me acting as if is fake. And they not a fake person. She said, I'm not built like that. That's not me. I said in myself, mm-hmm, that's not you. Okay, well, you, it needs to be something different than what you are if you're in the rooms with my ass because whatever's not me, I need to start trying to become it. They're called goals. They're called spiritual principles that I strive to. I'll never probably reach it. Let me tell you what that looks like, friend. What that looks like is this. I have a goal to say $5,000 by the end of the year. Just say, for instance, should the end of the year come, I've saved 1000 Did I reach my goal? No. But a thousand is better than zero. So what do I do? I go back, I recalibrate, and I reset a new goal. That's what these principles are about. That's why they say progress, not perfection. That's why I have 10 and 11. The nightly review gives 10 is during the day, and the 11th step for me is a nightly review. How did I perform today? Did I reach my goals? Am I going to go to bed with sleep and with peace? I love sleep. I'm a girl that, I'm a, when you get old, naps are sexy. I don't know about y'all, but a nap feels real good. A good 30-minute nap, oh my God. It's better than alcohol. I love me a nap. When I feel replenished and I feel like I'm okay and I, I can go to sleep in peace, I sleep better. How did I learn all this stuff? You guys took me. You took me in. Let me tell you what you told me. You told me, get you a sponsor. I'm new. I'm like, well, what's a sponsor? They said, there's somebody that has some time, sober, that has some experience, that knows about this program, that can help you and guide you through this program and through the steps. I said, okay, cool. What I come to understand in plain terms for Leslie Strange as a sponsor is like this. I'm sitting up here on Zoom, and a lot of you guys are on your stuff. I've got my phone plugged in. i got my light plugged in. i got my computer plugged in. i got a fan here, and i got a heater, too, because I have hot flashes, so I get cold and hot. But that's for the girls who understand. But anyway, I have all this stuff, and i got one wall with one wall plug with two plugs in it. Only two. i got about six things I need to plug in. What we do, y'all, y'all smart, you know what we do. We go get a, a power strip. Power strip, that's what we call it over here. And depending on which one you invest in, you can get one with eight, 10 different little slots. And it has a power surge control because what happens when you plug all that stuff in. Now, I don't know about electricity, but when you plug all this stuff in and you got that one major plug and you plug it into a wall, if there's a power surge, it can blow out everything. But the, that, that strip, that power strip keeps me from blowing out all my stuff because it has a built-in power surge. You know what a power surge looks like for me? My ego, it gets real big. And I could blow everything up. But you know what the power strip is more importantly? My sponsor. She plugs me in when I can't hear or see God. 
She plugs me in when I can't. 32 years in and I'm in a fetal position behind a situation that wasn't necessarily anything that I did, but it has affected me. Or maybe even a self-imposed crisis. She's that person right here that I pick up and I do this. Say I refuse to be a, spon a sponsorless. I have to have a sponsor. I have to go through life with some guidance. I cannot be the wisest person in my circle because that means I got a dumb circle. I came into the rooms to do the steps to get clear. You know what it is? I'm blocked. But the blessing of it is, is that I've come to concede that there's something wrong. This is the only disease on the planet that I can diagnose myself. I have to know that I'm an alcoholic. Then I have to know that my thinking is unmanageable and my actions are unmanageable. Then I have to turn around and say, I'm, I'm insane. Now let's talk about that word psychopath. I'm going to repeat it again for the people in the back back. Let me tell you what a psychopath is. That's a person that can't ever admit their fault. That's a person that can't, can't and won't admit their part. So for people that are sitting here like I was until a couple weeks ago, they got some resentments. They ain't willing to look at it because they don't want to see their part or they don't see their part. They're either lying by omission or commission. They're outright lying to themselves like I was a couple weeks ago. And until I picked up that pen and said the third step prayer and started putting it down again, why do I have to do a four-step, friends, you ask? Because I didn't do 10, 11, and 12. I mean, I did 12, but I wasn't doing 10, 11 on a regular basis. So I picked up litter, like a vacuum cleaner. Now I got this garbage. Now everything is about what they did to me. And when all my mind, this magic magnifying mind, is focusing on what they did to me, guess what? I fall on the psychopath fair, uh, uh, schism. I'm in the psychopath arena. Now, no, I'm not killing people and cutting up bodies and putting them under my bed or anything like that. No, I'm not doing a Ted Bundy. That, and when I hear psychopath, I think of Anthony Perkins in the movie Psycho. You know, I think of psychopath like that. But then there's a, there's a spectrum. And when they told me that in the doctor's opinion, I said, you mean I'm psychotic? I'm a psychopath? And my sponsor looked at me. She was an RN and she had a, a degree in chemical dependency and she was a psych nurse. She said, yeah, baby, you're a psychopath just like me. That's insulting. Who likes to think they're crazy enough to be in a padded cell and need the damn people the white, in the white coats to come and get... But yeah, I'm a mental defect, outright mental defect. My mind don't work like other people because I'm an alcoholic. My alcoholism. See, I had to get rid of the alcohol to see the alcoholism, the stuff that's blocking me. See, this thing is about this, and I like to say this, and it stuns people sometimes, but the big book don't keep me sober. It don't get me sober. The 12 and 12 don't get me sober. A sponsor can't get me sober. The meetings can't get me sober. A newcomer chip can't get me sober. Relapse after relapse and coming in here and get 30, 60, 90 days. 32 years don't get me sober. None of that gets me sober. You know what it is? I like to say it's like a big-ass gumbo. Sponsoring people don't get you sober. It helps. Keep you sober. None of this is designed to get me sober. It's designed to connect me to the power strip. That then connects me to the light. Say I'm blocked. Anytime I'm self-absorbed, page 62 talks about it. It call, it's me all day. I'm selfish, self-centered, self-loathing. I, I suffer from self-pity, depression. Um, uh, 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 11 forms of self. And that's just nice. It's all about me, even when I don't think it's about me. That's scary to me. 
And you know what scares me more than anything else is my self-conscious selfishness, defects, shortcoming, but the stuff that lies under the rug, that subconscious way in the backpack, the stuff that I didn't think was bothering me, but it is. The stuff that helps me lie to myself and say that I'm okay when I haven't done any writing. The stuff that set, set, makes me uh, say I, I, I don't need to sponsor nobody because now I got the job and the kids and the house and the boyfriend and the dogs and stuff. I got too much to do now. The stuff that's in the back back that has me tiptoeing backwards through the steps. The stuff that's taking me through step 12. Now I'm not sponsoring nobody or I'm not responding or I'm not reaching out and telling anybody I can help them. And, and I'm not praying and meditating and I'm not addressing the most high and I'm not doing contemplative prayer where you can pray and meditate at the same time. And I'm not reading my daily meditation. I'm doing those microwave prayers. Once I think about it, once I'm in my car on my way to whatever my mission is. And the 10th step, I'm not doing it right now. Apologies as I'm going through life and I'm making mistakes through life. I just let them sit and slide. And and I'm not doing the ninth step because I stopped on half my amends. And yeah, I saw Sally yesterday and she is on my list, but I didn't make amends to her. And then I'm not doing the things that are on my eight step list. You know, I'm not amending and I'm not forgiving on nine. And then I go back to six and seven my defects, if I if I don't act out, this is these are defects. This is just part of who I am. I'm just jazzy like that. I just got a flip tongue like that. They don't know who I am. I'm just not who they think I am. I'm built like this. I got all of this. And then all of a sudden, I, I need to be doing a four step, but I ain't picked up the pen in a long time. And then slowly but surely, I started taking control of my life and my action, thinking that God got me and I'm okay, assuming that I'm okay. And I take that third step and flip it. And I need to be a because. It becomes about me and all of a sudden I slowly but surely starting to lose my sanity where I start sitting in my home group talking about everybody in there but I'm not contributing I'm stealing from the program I'm not contributing or giving back and then all of a sudden I'm crazy and all of a sudden I start going back to sleep when I was awakened with the 12 steps and as I start slowly nodding off in this program I start slowly going back into that deep coma of spiritual sickness. All of a sudden, I become powerful. And alcohol wasn't that bad. Now my memory is foggy. I think I really wasn't that bad. And the next thing I know, if I make it back, I'm saying, hi, I got one day. I just worked the steps backwards for you. Let me tell you what that looked like in my life. By God's grace, I didn't get loaded. But I was 17 years in. I had a husband, the second husband I wasn't too fond of. I had a baby by him, so by then I have two sons. I was mad at that husband because he didn't turn out to be the man I thought he should be and how he should raise his family and take care of his household like I thought he should. And I don't know if you're a person like me, male or female, but when the relationship starts getting boring, I start looking and scouting out for other people. Because, see, I need somebody to help fill that heart-shaped hole in my soul with whatever's below your belt buckle. My sponsor, Betty T, I was with her for 26 years. She died 2016. She gave me so many nuggets. I talk about her a lot because I was with her the longest in my sobriety. But she told me, baby, you need to find a God higher than a man's belt buckle because even that goes down every now and then. Oops. Did anybody hear that? Is your woke? 
Am I on? <laughs> I better stop looking for people to fill the place that only God can fill. So what did I do? Acted out on a defect I didn't think was a big deal for me. I got a newcomer. He was cute. He was younger. He looked to me. I don't know what it is about an alcoholic, but if you've ever dated a newcomer and you've got substantial sobriety time, I know for me it turned out that it was power. I thirst for power. I get somebody who's less and less brilliant and less experienced and less so they can look up to me because I like to play God. I told you I wanted to be him. And that man looked at me like I was God. And it felt real, real good. So I ended up putting the husband out, moving the newcomer in, and my youngest child started calling him dad. Sober. Now you might say, were you in touch with your sponsor? Were you still sponsoring? You weren't working steps. You didn't write a thorough inventory. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. I did all of that. The cold part was I was still doing it. And she knew about everything I did because I told you I refused to be sponsored less. I didn't hide it from her. She knew. But the one thing she did know more than anything that I was doing is that she couldn't tell me to stop. Because by then it was just like a drink. I had taken one and I was off and running. I can't stop. Stop. I can't stop. See, her belief was that keep doing it. Whatever it is you're doing, she said keep doing it. Do it some more. Do it twice as much, twice as hard, twice as long. And your question was, like, why would somebody tell you that and they know it's killing you? Because we can't do nothing with you till you hit a bottom anyway. Same thing with recovery. We can't do nothing with you till you're tired. Universal sign of surrender. Can't teach you how to surrender, can't teach you how to be willing, and can't teach you how to be desperate. There's something in your soul that has to be surrendered. And me as a woman of, of, of this day and age, I can't teach you that. See, a lot of people get on here and want me to sponsor them and all that. I'm not God. I can't give you the magic. That's between you and your God. I got that man into my house. The man convinced me to move me and my two kids, a dog and a cat and two cars and a house full of furniture. Sold my house in Los Angeles, ended up in Atlanta. He ended up leaving me a year and a half later for a younger girl. Told, told everybody I was too young. I mean, I was too old and he was seven years younger than me. That husband that I left, I was so angry with him. I was so mad with him. Because see, listen, I'm mad at him because I don't want him anymore. He dare not date anyone. We weren't divorced yet. I messed around on him in front of the whole fellowship. All three of us were in the fellowship. But I'm mad at him because my attitude was psychopathic. If you'd only taken care of the family, you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to let anybody in. Nobody could have got in between me and you. It's your fault. I'm in Atlanta. That's psychopathic thinking. That's insane. I hated him. He didn't pay any child support. I was just so mad. And I was going for the jiggler vein. And somebody in the fellowship says, uh-uh. You know he doesn't work. He has an entrepreneurial business. You know. Why would you do that? In other words, he's in the rooms too. Why would I stab somebody that's already in the hospital? Why would I kick someone when they're already broken? And for that, just hearing that word from another responsible elder states person in the room, I backed up. 
A day at a time, I made amends with that man. And now he's my best friend. Now we co-parent that same little boy that we were fighting about. Surrender. Isn't it amazing? And you know what I discovered? I've got four minutes and 18 seconds. Let me tell you what I've discovered on this walk. Isn't the third step in between every step? Hmm. You know, something when you meditate, and I don't know about me, but I'm, the older I get, I'm, I'm able to zone out. I take long walks because I'm in Georgia now. I'm still here, and I'm in Georgia now, and it's a beautiful place because I can walk anywhere with my headset on, day or night. It's peaceful here, and it's beautiful here. And in those moments of silence, maybe with the music that I like that's calming me down, though all of a sudden these things start coming to mind. Isn't it amazing that if I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable, the 12 and 12 told me that, hey, Leslie, you came in on a step one, but you also came in on a step three. Read your 12 and 12. I didn't know that. I was sitting here amazed one day when I read that. I came in on a one and a three. I had to surrender something over to something to help me do something better than what I was doing. So if I believe I'm powerless, then I turn my will and life over to care of this program. And then if I believe I'm insane, then I turn my will and my life over to care of my sponsor so she can show me how to get sane. Or have rational thinking, not rationalized, rational thinking. Because what happens around here for me, I began to rationalize, justify, and die looking good in the rooms. Because I went back to sleep, y'all. I was praising the gift of sobriety, but not the giver of the gift, which is the power. Mm. See, I came into the room, and this is something that came to me in one of my walks. I came into the room powerless. Not to become powerful, but to become power-filled. Blew me away. Once again, for the back back. I came into the room powerless, not to become powerful, but to become power-filled. And that power-fillingness gave me the answer to all my problems. Me and that man are best friends now. My son now is 22 years old. He's staying where he's been staying with his father since he was 10. I asked his dad, well, you know what, dad, can you help take raise miles? Because I'm going to go to this school and, and I wanted to. I didn't get my bachelor's degree until I was 50 years old. I've purchased three or four different uh, uh, pieces of property individually that I've, you know, lived in and sold and bought another piece. A girl who was on welfare five years sober. A girl who had married a man and went to Germany in my first five years. And, and they told me not to marry him. And I married him anyway because Bill and Bob had wives. Why can't I have a husband? But you know what I forgot? I forgot to ask them why they say that. It ain't in the book. But I'll tell you what. My experience is, if you ain't did the steps, if you don't know him, he don't know him, you don't know each other, and you get in with somebody, you'll end up getting dragged across the floor by your weave in Mannheim, Germany, with four years sober, looking crazy. Wondering how the hell did I end up here? Now, you might not get men, you might not get dragged by the floor, but you might be dragging a woman. I don't know. But when I'm not full of God and I don't know who I am and I haven't even gotten through the steps, all kind of remarkable, crazy things can happen. And then I'm looking at God, that God I used to look at and blame. Today, I understand God don't do that. God gives grace. God's characteristics to me today are now the 12 principles 
behind each step. Those are God characteristics. Or even the four absolutes. Those are all God characteristics. My God's not here waiting to punish me. This is my understanding of God. He's waiting to give me love. He's waiting for me to surrender. He's waiting me to hit for me to hit a bottom and whatever defect, whether it's drinking every day or whether it's my defect of character or lack thereof. He's waiting for me to call on him and say, okay, God, I done did as much as I can. It's on you. He's sitting there with a big bag of popcorn just doing his God thing waiting see god has been standing in a line and if in that line was my selfishness self-centered my defects all of my stuff sorry all of my stuff that's been been blocking me from him and putting before him and he's sitting there looking and he's standing in the back of the line you know how you go to a meat market and you got the number and he's waiting he's waiting for self-centeredness and selfishness to move and then he's standing way in the back and then he's waiting for my defects and my shortcomings to move and then he's standing in the back and he's waiting for my fears to decrease and and, and he's standing in the back and he's letting me put men and property and prestige and kids and other stuff in front of him and he's standing there with the number and he keeps waiting for his number to get called. And the only way I'll call his number is, is if I'm face down, ass up, done. And then, when I say, dear God, help me, stone cold sober, he looks at the number, it matches the request, and he says, I've been waiting for you, my child, all this time. I've been waiting for you to call on me. Mm. It's a cooperation prayer. God, help me cooperate. Now, I may not know what God's will is, and I obviously make mistakes on thinking that's his will. God brought that man to me. No. God's grace kept me in spite of my conditions. God's grace kept me in spite of my choices. God's grace kept me in spite of the drinks. And the stuff that I did that I shouldn't have been here. There's something that Ralph White always says. He says, God just be God. And well, I like to say it like this. God just be gracing. He just gives out grace. I can't bargain for grace. I can't sex for grace. I can't beg for grace. I can't buy grace. It's something that God has given each and every one of us that's in the sound of my voice. It's something that God automatically gives you. He just gives out grace and gives out grace and gives out grace even when I don't deserve it. So I think. But well, you know what I found out today that all I'm supposed to do is get all this stuff and get all this 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 stuff behind the steps and the principles and understanding the right way of living and the passion that I speak with is because my experience is so vivid I never want to forget. But it's not about me anymore. I was given the right to apply my will like I wanted to. That God of reason, that logic, that thing that I, I was told I could use. I was given that gift. I've destroyed that gift with my selfishness and my alcoholism. But now that I've gotten that gift back, a day at a time, it's no longer mine to keep. It is mine to give. Hmm. Today when I'm like, the oldest son is 32 years old. He's recovering from mental illness, had a nervous breakdown about four years ago. I'm separated from all my friends. My mother died on Mother's Day, um, May 17, 2017. The guy left me for a younger woman. I've lost several jobs. The last job was due to the pandemic. My youngest son lives with his dad and they live well together. 
They just call me for refereeing and being spiritual advisor. I have a host of sponsees and it's not about whether I'm a good sponsor. It's how desperate and how willing they are. I give them all the attention I have. And all of this gumbo mix of everything that I'm doing, the steps, the traditions, working, fully self-supporting, dating, being able to examine, being able to take that, that magic magnifying mind and watch my thinking. I have to be the watcher of the thinking because the thinking wants to steer me to the left. The ego wants to steer me to the right. It just doesn't want to steer me up the center to the pathway to God. The thinking likes me to be discombobulated and off balance and out of sorts and feeling some kind of way. The thinking likes me off because when it has me off, I'm disconnected from the power. And when I'm disconnected from the power, I'm more vulnerable to making tragic blunders. Mm. The oldest son lives about five miles from me. The other night I ran to the store and, I, and my car wouldn't turn over because I've been traveling a lot and I hadn't been starting it up. And I was able to call that 32-year-old son who was born and raised in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he came immediately, within five minutes, jumped my car and followed me home. That's the kind of guy that I have because I've learned how to be a good mother today. I know how to nurture my children today. I know how to give them the things that my mother was incapable of giving me. I know how to hug them, kiss them dead in the mouth and look them dead in the eye. And they give me these embraces that are so fulfilling. It's something about heart to heart hugs that fulfill me. I think that's why I stay for the hugs. If you a Zoom baby, you ain't been to a face to face or a convention, stay for that. Because I think I stay for the hugs. I think I stay for the eye to eye contact to let you know I'm not afraid of you and to see that you're not afraid of me. I love that. These rooms are the best thing that's ever happened in my whole life. These rooms are the things that keep me breathing. These rooms are the things that tell me, stay in the right now, Leslie. It's 5.02, two minutes after the hour. Three minutes after, ain't here yet, don't matter. God will be there. And, and, and a minute after, don't worry about it, that's past. God was there. Be still and know that he is God. Be in the center. Be in the right now moment because that's all I have. If you want to be where God is, take your magic traveling mind and make it sit down with you in the moment. And I promise you, my friends, you will see a vast difference in your thinking and your attitude and your angle of looking at stuff. It changes, but it's going to take time. Just like I blew my life after 28 years, it's going to take just that much time. I think I've almost matched up with myself, but I got a long way to go. So if you knew and you don't know what the hell you're doing, that's a great place to be. I don't know. That's the best answer. Because when you say, I don't know, then God can shape you into what he wants you to be. And that's for him and for countless others. My name is Leslie Strange, and I'm a recovering grateful alcoholic. And thank you for listening. Leslie, you are a brilliant.